Amen. Thanks, Brian. Good morning. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. So glad to not be the only pastor here anymore. Glad to have Emily and Norton back from sabbatical. Uh, if you weren't here last week, um, today we're going to wrap up a little short two-part mini-series that I did, uh, that I started last week, and we're wrapping it up today. Uh, really, this is one message that uh, I just, you guys don't want me to talk for an hour, so I broke it up into two weeks. Um, and last week we kicked it off, and we started um, talking about the, the tumultuous time that we live in. Um, this time where there's so much uncertainty and doubt about a lot of things, about our political future, about, about how we can conceive of a way forward. How do we think about our, our most foundational institutions in this country? And certainly that has crept into our faith life. It's, it's, uh, it's a time where I think a lot of people are deconstructing and questioning a lot about their faith, a lot about the church and about what their place in the church might be. And so last week, as we kicked things off, um, we talked about this as, uh, as, a, as an experience that we all go through. Uh, and rather than being something we need to be afraid of, the, the process of deconstructing and reconstructing faith is actually something that can make our, our beliefs, make our faith stronger. So the way I describe the process, just a quick recap, this is like, you know, when you watch Netflix, you know, last week on Beyond Faith, you know, be, be. This is your catch-up. So 30-second version is we start with some belief. You know, you have a belief that was given to you at some point in life. Maybe it goes all the way back to childhood. And then something happens in your life. Maybe some circumstance happens in your life or you meet someone new or you, you read a book or you, you go to college and you get, um, you get more information than you had before. And now that destabilizes that belief, causes you to question. It causes you to doubt and even to deconstruct that belief. But rather being afraid of that process, I think that a healthy, growing faith embraces that process to say we're always doing this. We're always going through this process of deconstructing and reconstructing our beliefs. The question is, are we doing it purposefully? Are we going through that process and intentionally letting go of things and grabbing on to new things? Often I think this happens in a way that con- we're not even consciously aware of, and we can let go of important things that we need to hold on to and take on things that aren't really that helpful. I, I compared it a little bit to the process that, uh, that my family and I went through last year uh, doing a remodel in our house. So I talked about this. I compared it to this remodel we did on our kitchen. So we start with beliefs, which is like starting with my old kitchen. So we have a picture here. That's my old kitchen. So my house was built in 1919. Pretty sure that remodel got done somewhere in the 1950s. So about 70 years old. We lived with it for 10 years. It's been okay, but it, it was time. My, my wife, Kate, would tell you it was really time to get this kitchen updated. Well, the first step in any construction process Process or reconstruction process is demolition. We had to tear down what was there. So that's what it looked like in the middle of the process. This is what happens. This is an analogous process to what happens with our beliefs. We tear down what we believed before to make space for something new. But I said this last week, you can't stay there. You can't stay in deconstruction. You have to build something else. If you don't build something else, other things are just going to creep in. Other beliefs, ideas, concepts are going to come to you from from peers and friends and family and culture and society and entertainment that's just going to creep in unintentionally. And you're going to have new beliefs before you even know it. So what we want to do is to intentionally reconstruct. And that's a little bit like my new kitchen. So I didn't do that on my own, for sure. I did not do that by myself. And neither should you reconstruct or deconstruct your faith on your own. 
We all need each other. We need faithful guides. We need mentors and pastors and friends, and we need community. We need one another to go through the deconstruction process to make sure that we tear down the right things and don't tear down don't, we, we tear down the, the stuff that needs to go, and we don't tear down the, the things that need to stay, and then we need help going through the reconstruction process as well to make sure that we're doing a construction that's intentional. And, so, and through our lifetime, we're going to go through this process many, many times, sometimes subconsciously, but hopefully more and more intentionally as we grow in a life of faith. Now, today I want to pick up where we left off because we really talked mostly last week about deconstruction and about how we don't need to be afraid of that process, that it, is, it can be a really healthy process. Today I want to talk about the process of reconstruction and what it looks like to reconstruct our faith once we've deconstructed some things. To extend the analogy a little bit, I think if, if, if re- deconstructing and reconstructing our beliefs is a little bit like renovating the rooms in our house, I'd like to take a step back and, and help you to see that the whole house is like your whole life. You have a lot of rooms in your house, and you're constantly going to be doing this updating, this remodeling through your lifetime. There's a lot of facets and a lot of different domains um, that are in your life. It wasn't always that way, was it? I mean, life, remember the simpler times when you were younger, when you were a kid, Still in school, your life was so much less complex. There was only a couple of rooms. You didn't have a lot of things to have to wrestle through or doubt or disbelieve or reconstruct about your life. You just you know, played with your friends and went to school. It was pretty simple. But as we progress through life, it gets increasingly more complex. We, we go through processes. We grow up. We, maybe we go to high school. We go to, maybe we go to college you know, those are all new experiences and add on new rooms, new rooms of, of beliefs about the way that the world operates. We have dating relationships. <clears throat> we break up. Maybe we get married. We get a job. We get another job. We leave that job. Uh, we change cities along the way. Um, we have kids. Maybe we get divorced in that process. We face joys and we face challenges. We're constantly adding rooms. Sometimes we're even adding floors onto the house, right? Like this is, this is the, the life that we live. We're constructing and reconstructing it all the time. And we build a life the same way that we build a house. You know, one room, one floor, we build it with our, our choices and our decisions that we make. And all those choices and the decisions are based on our beliefs. They're based on the way we think about the world, about what's true, what's right, what's good. Every human being, I think, that has ever lived has this innate desire to move towards their picture of a better, more abundant, more flourishing life. The, the question is, what, what, what is that picture that they're, that they're looking at? Now, human life is complex, and people live at, at different places in kind of the hierarchy of needs. So a lot of people are just trying to eat and live each day. But I think once every human being gets some capacity, they begin to think about, what, is, what does a fulfilling life look like? What, what do I believe about what the good life, a good and abundant life, actually is? And a lot of people build their lives around a lot of different beliefs about what that looks like, which is why there's so many different Houses, if you will. We're all building our houses, building our lives in different ways. There's different design aesthetics. There's different sizes and structures. Way different. There's so many different ways to go about this, right? Human beings are complex, and we're very unique and different. But today I want to talk about a part of the house that I think is overlooked, totally overlooked, but might be the most important feature of the house, 
It's the thing that determines more than anything else how much construction needs to get done over time, how much we need to construct and deconstruct over time. And to share what that most important feature is, I want to take you to a story that Jesus told because truthfully, this analogy of your life like a house isn't my analogy. It's actually Jesus's. I'm just borrowing it today. So to hear hear it from him and how he described it, I want to go to the book of Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with us, uh, or you can scroll along on your phone. We'll also put the verses on the screen. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the book of Matthew is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life that we have, that have been been passed down to us through the centuries. Last week, we looked at a different one, um, the book of John. Both John and Matthew were eyewitnesses to the events that they described. They were were both one of some of Jesus' first followers, his first students, his first disciples. And they write as eyewitnesses to the things that they describe. And the section that we're going to, of, of Scripture we're going to look at today, the story we're going to look at today, comes from one of the most important sections that, of the book that Matthew gives us in, the, in his account of Jesus' life. It comes from chapters 5 through 7. And those three chapters, they're probably the most condensed um, packaging, if you will, of Jesus' teaching that we have. Um, it's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount because... Matthew describes this situation where Jesus is there and there's a large crowd of people and he leads them up on the side of this mountain and tells them to sit down and he, he teaches to them. And it's just, I mean, it's so densely packed. It's, 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 just, it's just story after story, principle after principle. It's this, this massive download of everything Jesus has to say about the kingdom of God, which is the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything, about what are the values, the behaviors, the practices that are present in a life that's submitted to God's rule, to, to wanting to live obediently to God. Jesus is downloading all of this to these followers. Now, scholars believe Matthew probably took a lot of different sermons that Jesus gave, and he put them all together in one, and rhetorically he packages, packaged them up in one. But chapter five, chapters 5 through 7 is this densely packed sermon that we have, this, this illustration of the things, the core things that Jesus wants to teach. And as we come to the end of the section in chapter 7, where we're going to jump in, he's, he's concluding with a series of challenges about taking seriously the things that he's telling them and putting them into practice. He, he's letting them know these aren't just teachings that you can take and weigh and choose and pick and choose the pieces that you want to apply. These aren't just good philosophies. They're not just my theories about life. He wants to tell them these are truth. Like these are things that you can base your life around. And so he tells them in chapter 7, starting in verse 24, he says, Therefore, therefore, in light of everything I've just told you about the kingdom of God, about what that means for you and for your life, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So here's the analogy that I borrowed from Jesus. And Jesus is saying, your life is like a house. And you may have, a, there's many different kinds of houses. There's many different construction methods that you can use. But the most important thing about a house is a part that you can't see. It's the foundation. 
What is your house built on? Like the foundation of a house provides support for the house and everything that's built on top of it. The foundation of our life is anything that sits at the base of our life that we build on top of. It's the beliefs, the concepts, the ideas, the principles, the ways of thinking about the world that we base everything else around, that we base all of our choices and our decisions around. And Jesus is telling his audience on this day, I'm giving you a firm foundation. This is a foundation you can trust that you can build your life on. That you don't have to worry about whatever happens in your life. Things will be okay if you build your life on this foundation. Now later in the story of Jesus' life, Matthew gives us another account where Jesus actually comes back to this analogy. He's in a disagreement with the Jewish leaders, and he's talking to them. Uh, He has tried repeatedly to give them this teaching, to give them this perspective about what the kingdom of God is like, and to show them the error of their ways. He wasn't always kind about it. He was very confrontational at times, Jesus. Uh, But he was letting them know they are going the wrong way. They're rejecting his teaching, and they're building their life and calling other people to build their life on an insecure foundation. And he's challenging them. So look at what he says, book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 42 and 43. Jesus said to them, them being the religious leaders, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Now, Jesus is referencing here a verse from the Psalms, Psalm 118. And this is a psalm along with many other Old Testament scriptures that pointed to the coming of a Messiah. A Messiah who would restore Israel's relationship with God restore the relationships that they had with one another, with the the nations around them, and would restore them back to the prominence, back to the ideal that God had when he initiated his relationship with Israel. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, you have rejected my teaching, and therefore, just as Psalm 18 predicted, I am the cornerstone. I am the stone that the builders have rejected. And that stone has become the chief cornerstone. Now, what's he talking about here? So in masonry, a cornerstone is the brick or the block that is used to create the the walls or the supporting walls of a foundation or a foundational part of a building. You could say it's the foundation of the foundation. Jesus is saying, as predicted, I am that chief cornerstone. And what I tell you about life is reliable and predictable, and you can rely on it. And if you build your life on it, it will be secure. And he's challenging the Pharisees saying, you have rejected that. Therefore, you fulfilled this, this prediction, this prophecy that, that you would reject the one who would become the chief cornerstone. And so this analogy continues on even after Jesus's, his death and his resurrection and his ascension. His first followers go out into the world with this message. They're transformed by the resurrection, transformed by what they saw and what they experienced, they have really t- now taken to heart everything that Jesus has told them, and they're going out in the world to share it. And as they go, they're taking this analogy with them. We find this in other places. This idea of Jesus being the chief cornerstone of a foundation that he has built and created and given to us to build our life on. Listen to how the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the early church in the first century, wrote to a group of Christians 
who were in a church in the city of Ephesus. Listen to how he says this to them. Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Skipping down a little bit, verse 19, he says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too were being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And here's what's so important about this. Paul is telling us here, don't miss this. Paul is telling us, we don't build the foundation ourselves. If we build the foundation, it's not going to be a solid foundation. The foundation, the best foundation, the only secure foundation is the foundation that we receive, that Christ has built. It's the one that we receive from him. We don't have to build it ourselves. So here's the good news about that. Here's why that's important. If our belief in Jesus is the foundation that we build our life on, if it's there, if we simply receive that, if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's trustworthy in all that he says and we can then take the things that he's told us and we can build and go out into our lives, whatever you build on top of it is fine. You don't have to worry about doubt or deconstructing the rooms of the house that sit above the foundation. You're going to do that over and over and over again. But those are secondary beliefs to the beliefs that sit in the foundation, the beliefs that come to you from Jesus which should give us such freedom from fear or anxiety. Our faith is not predicated on believing the right things or doing the right things. Our faith is predicated on receiving the foundation that has been laid by Jesus. It's a gift, Paul says. Not from yourselves, not because you built it, not because you made it happen, not because you pieced together your truth and your truth is your truth and you're constructing and whatever you do in, in the world is on you. you got to figure it out. No, 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 no. Paul says it's not from you, so no one can boast. It's a gift from God. And so we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be afraid about this process of deconstruction and reconstruction if we have a firm foundation, the foundation laid by Jesus. So the question, the really relevant question for you and for me is, what's the foundation of our life? What are the foundational ideas? What's the foundational beliefs? What is it that our life is founded upon? And before you jump to that question, before you say the Sunday school answer, Jesus is my foundation. Well, maybe, maybe it is. But I think it's a whole lot harder to see our foundation than we think. Just like the foundation of a house is somewhat hidden, it's hard to see it from the outside. Sometimes the strength of our foundation and what our found, the foundation of our life is actually sitting on has to be revealed to us. Jesus said it this way. He said that when the rains come and the wind blows against the house, then you discover what the house is built on. Then you figure out the strength of your foundation. When we go through tragedy, when we go through loss, when we go through difficulty, 
that's when we begin to realize what our foundation is built on. And in those moments, we may discover at the core of our life, our beliefs, beliefs about people, beliefs about the world, about our work, about money, or about God, that just aren't true. They're unstable. They're like sand. And that when they get tested, they're unreliable. They prove themselves to be unreliable. And that can be incredibly painful, and it can be incredibly traumatic. We might not realize how much of our identity or self-worth comes from the work that we do or the income that we make until we lose our job and everything feels in our life feels like it unravels. And we realize we were so much more reliant on that than we thought we were. So much of our happiness was dependent on our identity that came from the work that we did. It's easy to say we don't depend on money or possessions until... They're taken away. When things are good, things are going well, and the stock market's going up, and your bank account's full, it's easy to say, I rely on Jesus. Oh, I, oh, Jesus is my rock. It's easy to sing these songs. And then when your bank account empties out, and you feel that instability and that insecurity, you may realize there's a lot more of your foundation built on money or possessions than built on Jesus. Or if we're holding on to a foundational belief about God or about the Bible that's unstable, that can create this instability and insecurity in our life. I've met so many people who've gone through difficult times and they've said, I just, I feel like God has abandoned me. I did what I was supposed to do. I lived my life. I did what the Bible said. I was faithful. And so I expected that God would come through and that I would have an easier life, that, that good things would happen to me. And my answer is, you can't worship that God anymore because that God doesn't exist. That's not real. Bad things happen to people who are faithful and good and trying to follow the way of Jesus every day. And good things happen to people who don't care anything about God. It's a broken, confusing world that we live in. And if you base your life on that idea that God's going to always come through and nothing bad's going to happen to you as long as you do the things you're supposed to do, That's a simple belief that needs to be challenged and deconstructed. Maybe for you, it's the Bible. Maybe you had a particular view of the way that the world works based on the Bible, and you went to college, and you took a geology class, and suddenly they're telling you the world's millions of years old, and your pastor told told you it was only a few thousand, and you feel like, oh my gosh, I have to... The Bible is completely unreliable. No, I, I think you probably just had your faith based on something that was not solid, that just needs to be rethought. That one thing needs to be changed, and you don't need to stand on that. It's okay. Jesus is still who he says he is, even if your view of the Bible changes. Now, while I can talk about how good and helpful and necessary this process is, I realize it's incredibly painful to go through. Maybe some of you are in that process even now, of deconstructing or having your beliefs deconstructed. I was listening to a podcast this week. This topic is out there so much. People are just talking about the deconstruction that people are going through right now in their lives and in their faith. And this, uh, there was a religious leader, a, a faith leader, who was talking about the deconstruction process that he had gone through. And, and he had gone through a divorce, and he lost his job, and he, he lost his ministry, and he was rethinking everything. I mean, he, was, he, he has gone back and forth on whether or not he even would consider himself a Christian anymore. And he said, you know, when people talk about deconstruction, 
I feel like they talk about it like it's a Lego house. Like, like, you know, you take a brick apart and then you rebuild it and it's all nice and pretty. He's like, I feel like somebody just stomped on my Lego house and the pieces are everywhere and I can't put them back together. That may be what it feels like to you right now, that God stepped on your Lego house and everything is confusing and painful and difficult. But I believe this is the severe mercy of God. That he allows our Lego houses to be smashed to bits. To realize that they've been built on the wrong foundation all along. Because we can't begin the process of reconstructing something better, something more lasting, something more reliable, until we're ready to let go of the things we've depended on that were un. Reliable. So how do we reconstruct after deconstruction? After we've dismantled our beliefs that we can't hold on to anymore, after the wind and the rain has battered against our Lego house and broken it to pieces, how do we move on? How do we rebuild? How do we reconstruct our lives? We have to begin with the foundation. We have to ask ourselves, what are the foundational beliefs and values and behaviors that I've built my life on? And what are the ones that need to be deconstructed and let go of? Everyone has a foundation, by the way. You don't get to opt out of having a foundation. This is not a faith thing. This is not a God thing. Regardless, you might be here today and you're still struggling with what you believe about God or about Jesus. Your life is built on something. You have foundational beliefs about the world. Are they reliable? Are they trustworthy? Are the decisions that you're making, the house that you're building above that, how will it stand up when difficult times come? Going back to my analogy, if I told you that I had just redone my kitchen and you showed up in my house and this is what you saw, I think you might think, bro, I think you need to do some other work at your house, right? And yet this is, I think this is the state of a lot of people's lives right now. They're they're deconstructing the things that that are in their lives. They're deconstructing the ways that they think about relationships. They're deconstructing the way they think about politics and the government. They're deconstructing the way that they think about their faith. And they're doing a lot of great remodeling on the inside and they're reconstructing some things, or maybe not. I think a lot of people are just leaving their house gutted. But meanwhile, their house is sitting on this broken foundation. First thing that we need to do is to take a hard look at our life and acknowledge where we've built and rebuilt our beliefs on a bad foundation. A foundation of work or affirmation from others or fear or insecurity or money or or anything else that isn't Jesus. So if you're here today and you're wondering, what does it look like to build my life on the foundation of Jesus? That sounds like a very sort of churchy thing. Well, all it means is to simply to accept that Jesus is who he says he is and that his teaching, the things that we read about from him, are reliable to base our life on, to simply receive that as a gift. And you can do that at any time. You can simply say, God, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I want to receive that gift of life and freedom, freedom from anxiety, freedom from the need to build my own faith myself. I want to receive that, and I want Jesus to be the foundation of my life. You can do that anytime you want. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it in a few minutes as we close. But if you're here today and you're still not sure, you're not sure about Jesus, you're not quite sure what you believe, you still have questions, 
We're so glad you're here. Keep coming back. Keep asking questions. We want to be a community where we can ask these hard questions and wrestle with it and be honest to say, I'm just not there. I'm not there to say that Jesus is the foundation of my life. And keep seeking truth. Keep seeking what's real, what's true, what's beautiful. This is not me trying to convince you or sell you Jesus. Jesus ain't Amway. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to figure out what's real and what's true and what's beautiful and what we can base our life on. Keep seeking the truth because if you do, I believe you'll find the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And if you're here today and you've already accepted Jesus as the foundation, He is the foundation of your life. But you still have doubts. You still have questions. You still have uncertainty and you have anxiety about that. Join the club. Let's get coffee or beer and we'll talk about all my doubts and insecurities and anxieties. I have reconstructed my house so many times, I cannot tell you. There is nothing that you are going to doubt or question that I probably haven't doubted or or questioned myself. And every time I get all the way down to the foundation, and I've done this several times, and I've looked at it and I've said, what else is there? So, So I've been with Jesus for a long time, and He's been the foundation, and I've tried rebuilding and reconstructing. What else? Maybe Buddhism? Maybe Hinduism? Maybe Islam? Maybe secular philosophies about life? And here's the thing, I can't find anything that I want to believe more than that there is an infinite God who loves us infinitely, who created the world out of the generosity of love that is His character and His nature. And that He manifested Himself in the person of Jesus to show us what love looks like when it walks around in human form. I want to believe that that God wanted to show us so much that He was willing to die on a cross the most humiliating way so that we could see, we could see how much He loved us and that that in His resurrection and His rising again, we could know that believing in that gives us hope that this life is not all that there is, that there is more to this life, that the abundant life that we want, that we seek for, that Jesus offers begins now and extends into eternity. I want to believe that that's true. And here's the thing. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I am pot committed. I am all in on Jesus. That's it. And here's what's freeing about that. Am I saying that everything above the foundation doesn't matter? That what you believe doesn't matter? Sure it matters. It absolutely matters. But all of those beliefs are secondary. They're secondary to the foundational idea that you are enough. That what Jesus said, what Jesus gives us, the foundation that we stand on is that you're enough. God's love for you is not predicated on getting it right or believing the right thing or doing the right thing. So build your house. We can discuss your design aesthetic and how I disagree with it. We can talk about predestination and free will and all of the other things that people have debated for centuries, which is why there are so many different churches. It's the beauty and the diversity of the kingdom, the beauty and the diversity of people. There's so many different people who see and understand this differently, but we have the same foundation. There is unity, even if there is not uniformity. At New Denver, we talk about trying to major on the majors to make the main things, the main things, the foundational things, the foundational things. And everything else, we want to be humble and we want to be charitable and we want to talk about those things in community with one another. 
If Christ is the foundation, we can have unity and community without uniformity. And in the end, I hope we will continue this journey together. As I said last week, deconstruction should always be done with others, always be done in community. The same is true for reconstruction. We want to support, encourage, and challenge one another in this journey while standing on the firm foundation of Jesus. Let's pray as we close that God would help us to do that. God, thank you that we don't have to be afraid. Thank you that we don't have to worry or have anxiety about your love for us because it's not built on anything that we do. It's built on the foundation of Jesus and his foundational love and sacrifice for us. And for the person who's here today and they've never really truly accepted that for themselves, maybe they've circled around and they've, they've thought about it, but, but they've never really said, Jesus, I want you to be the foundation of my life, the cornerstone that I set my life around. And I'm ready to deconstruct and I'm ready to tear things up. I'm ready to make you the foundation. I just pray that in this moment they would have the courage to just say that prayer to you. Jesus, I want you to be the center of my life. I want you to be the foundation of my life. And Lord, for those of us who've walked this journey for a long time and continue deconstructing and reconstructing, God, give us um, courage to continue doing that, knowing that your love for us is not based on getting it right. Give us humility to show kindness to others who disagree with us, who are building their houses in different ways. We might be charitable and understand that if the foundation is good, we have freedom freedom to explore and question and, and, and believe different things and that you're at work in all of that and that you love us in the process. Thank you, Lord, that you give us life and that you love us. We pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.